Thank you, Lance. That's so exciting. We're doing another baptism next week. Got a cool phone call uh, this week of a young college student. Thank you for that phone call, by the way. It made my day. Um, who placed her faith in Christ, wants to be baptized. She will do that next um, Sunday, maybe a couple others. So if you've not been baptized yet and you'd like to do that, please reach out to us. We'd love to set this thing up every week. It's a pretty cool thing to celebrate. Amen? Speaking of celebration today, I know it's September 11th, so it's always been kind of weird. So eight years into our marriage, we're sitting in a restaurant in Liberal, Kansas, trying to celebrate um, our anniversary. Ours is also September 11th, and it was eight years into it that we did that. And so it's always been weird from there forward. But today, Rachel and I celebrate 29 years um, of wedding, anniversary, marriage. And I thought that was cool. Um, you know, that's pretty neat in today's culture. But I did a wedding renewal last night of a couple that have been married for 50 years, and I felt not qualified to do it. I'm like, you need to teach us how to have a good marriage. Apparently, it's working for you. And so uh, Andy and Teresa Dorsey uh, were married 50 years. Uh, yesterday, celebrated that. I put my arm around Teresa on the way into the restaurant. I said, are you sure you want to go through with this? And so uh, she did, and we're grateful. And then the first service, another couple that shares an anniversary with Rachel and I um, is David's parents, uh, Charles and Geneva, and they celebrate their 62nd um, anniversary. So in a culture today, well, that's not normal. It's encouraging and inspiring to see people who just kind of in it for the long haul. Amen. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I know some of you are kind of wondering what's going on with Shane. I've been out of the pulpit for three weeks in a row. It was nice. Two weeks in a row I was here, but I wasn't preaching. But, you know, when you're here, you're still pastor and you're busy. Last week I had the opportunity to go to Dallas, and we visited Irving Bible Church where my daughter and her husband um, attend worship. And it was weird but cool to be able to attend worship and not be a preacher. No one knows I'm a preacher. Um, I could sip my coffee and listen to worship and listen to a really good sermon. It was, it was cool. Um, and so it was nice to be away, um, and in my absence, Lance did a fabulous do- job last week. Um, love his heart, and love what God's doing through him as he speaks. He just seems to get better and better. Had a lot of great feedback uh, from him, so um, he'll be preaching a whole lot more. Like, I mean, once every other week would be fine with me. I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, we love it when he does, and uh, thank you all for uh, just encouraging him and supporting him in this time. Um, if you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, now if you've been with us um, throughout the year, you know that we've been in this theme, which, I mean, if you think about it, the theme's always focused on Jesus, but we've really been intentional at the person of Jesus. And and it goes like this, we want to know who he is, what he did, what he taught, and what it means, right? We've been looking at that. Every sermon, every series has been focused on those things. We just finished a series called The, the Parables or The Moral of the Story, where we looked at what he taught. Um, of course, Easter, we looked at what he did, the, the redemption work that was done on the cross and the resurrection, um, and who he is. We did an I Am series earlier um, in the year that focused on the I Am statements of Jesus and his deity, that he is God in the flesh. And today we're kind of back to the who he is um, with a new series called Greater Than. And what we're going to do in Hebrews is we're not going to take it verse by verse because you can get caught up in the weeds uh, when you do that. I don't want us to miss the overall theme and the heart of the writer of Hebrews and what he's trying to relay to the first readers. And so we're going to look at it, the first 10 verses over the next four weeks after today. Um, And and so we're looking at some major themes there. And, And let me just share my heart with you as a pastor. We say all the time that the most important decision you can make is to place your faith in Jesus. Amen? That's a big step, the most important, but I don't want to leave you there. 
Um, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to thrive in your faith. I want you to get to know Jesus more. Amen? I don't want you to just know him as, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he did all that stuff on the cross. You know, I don't, I don't remember when. And, you know, he's cool. He's a good teacher. Because if that's all you know about Jesus, it affects what it means to you. But the more you get to know Jesus, as you grow in your faith and you understand his character, his nature, who he is, and you know what he did, the depths of what he brought you and me out of in our sin, and the magnitude of what he's done for us through the gospel, how many know it changes what it means? And we live in a culture today where we need that, in church culture. In fact, we were talking last night at dinner about just the reaction in church and how nobody really seems to get into worship much anymore. There's not a lot of clapping. And I think as some of us were raised where it was supposed to be reverent when you're in church. And I'm like, God is worthy of all praise. And there's plenty of verses that say, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. David did a jig. I don't think he was naked, but he might have been in a loincloth. I mean, I'm thinking, in a church, we should be able to celebrate because we have the greatest news ever told to man oh you can do better than that you're gonna have to help me out but my heart is that you know Jesus because the more you know him and the more you understand what he's done for you it just changes everything Jesus is everything to me he's everything to me I can't imagine going through life without the anchor of hope that goes beyond the veil that is in Christ Jesus when this world gets kind of shaky couldn't imagine walking through this world without that hope in Christ I couldn't imagine facing an imminent death. We know that it's going to happen to all of us at some point. I could not imagine standing on the threshold between life and death without the hope of eternity for those who place their faith in Jesus. I wouldn't imagine what that would be like to go through life without that hope. Amen? So what he means to me, oh, he means everything to me. And I would hope that every believer would have that same faith. And the reality is, is I know a lot of people say, I'm a Christian. I've placed my faith in Jesus, but their lives are a wreck. They're walking around, they don't really understand that they've been delivered from sin. They don't really realize that they're free in Christ. They don't really realize that they are children of the Most High God, that they're joint heirs with Christ. They don't get it. And my desire is that we go beyond salvation and grow mature in our faith. And so that's the purpose of why we're digging into Hebrews for the next five weeks. And so this Greater Than series, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. And i got a few notes over here when we break into the verses. We're only going to look at three verses today, um, one through three. And here's why. It's packed with some good information. And my temptation, I'll just read the Bible and I'm going through it and I miss things So I want to just kind of pump the brakes and take a little time as we walk through just the first three verses because it sets the whole letter of Hebrews up. So here's a little background. Hebrews, uh, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, Some think Barnabas, some think um, Apollos, some think Paul. We don't know, and it doesn't matter because it's the message of Hebrews that we're digging into. We don't know the specific people group that it was written to, but we know the people because throughout Hebrews, there's a whole lot of references to the Old Testament, to the Mosaic Law, specifically the Torah. And so we know that he's writing to a group of people that knew this as much as the author. The, The author knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand, and he's assuming that those he is writing to know these things. And so we are at a disadvantage today because we spend a lot of time focusing on the New Testament. The original audience would have picked up on some key words that were spoken by this author that we might miss out. That's how we're different from the original audience. But one of the ways that we are the same as them is they were going through seasons of life where they were stalling out in their faith. Chapters 5 and 6, He's addressing that. Like they're stalling out in their faith. They're not maturing in their faith. And he says, you guys should be onto some deeper stuff now, but you keep going over the basics. 
And you need to go on to maturity. Now, in chapter 10, he kind of references um, some people that are in rebellion. They know what they're supposed to do, and they're being disobedient to God's word. Does any of us struggle with that sometimes? And in chapter 10 also, he's talking about those who are being heavily persecuted, and that's kind of the overall theme here. They're being persecuted for their faith, and they're tempted to turn back now from Jesus back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, back to the Mosaic Law. And so the writer's saying, hey, I want to I lift up Jesus. I want to put Jesus on a pedestal for a moment, and I want you to see that he is greater than. And so if you don't get anything else I say this morning, hear me say this, Jesus is greater that, that right there will preach. I mean, you can preach a whole message on Jesus is greater. Think about it. Jesus is greater. What have you experienced in life? Some of the most beautiful, scenic areas that you've been to, you're like, it's majestic. It just takes my breath away. He created it, right? Some, like the, the wonders of the world or somebody that's like a genius and we recognize them and we admire them. Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels, than Moses, than the sacrifices, the priests, which we'll get into. But that's what the writer wants us to know is to elevate our perspective of Jesus high above everyone and anything that we could ever think about or imagine. Amen. And that's my heart, is that we ought to lift Jesus up. In fact, I was listening to a bunch of worship music this week, and the purpose was just to listen for every reference to Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he taught, and what it means. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name, Master, Savior, like the fragrance after the rain. What a beautiful name it is, right? There's a lot of songs. It's just over and over the references to Jesus. We want to lift him up because the more we know him, it just changes what it means to us. The other purpose of this letter was not only did he want to um, elevate Jesus as supreme over everyone and everything, he wanted to challenge his readers to be faithful to Jesus in spite of persecution. They were being heavily persecuted. And he was just wanting them to stay faithful to Jesus and we'll find out where else are you going to go, right? Because Jesus is greater. Stay faithful to Jesus. And I think that rings a bell with all of us here even today. Jesus is still greater. Amen? All right, so are you with me so far? Great letter. If you, if, in fact, I want to ask, I'll give the first service homework. Nobody likes it, but I'm going to ask you to do it with me. Um, if you wanted to read the entire letter of Hebrews, you can read it in about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, but if you'll just read chapters 1 and 2 for next week, it will prepare you for our next message. And it would be kind of cool if we were all on the same page. Um, and so Hebrews 1 and 2 for next week, I would encourage you um, to read that. But today I just want to spend a few moments with the introduction to this letter. And so the writer is elevating Jesus above everything, right? And then he makes the case throughout the rest of the letter to Hebrews in the first 10 chapters, right? That's where we're going to stop for now, unless I feel led to go beyond that, the great faith chapter. But the first 10 chapters, he's making his case that Jesus is greater. And so chapters 1 and 2, he's saying Jesus is greater than the angels and the Torah, the law, their message, right? Um, in chapters 3 and 4, he's saying that Jesus is greater than Moses, and Moses led the children to the promised land, a Sabbath's rest. He's saying, hey, Jesus is greater, and his Sabbath rest is greater. Um, in chapters 5 through 7, he's greater than the priests, you know, the earthly priest. He's the perfect high priest. And in chapters 8 through 10, he is greater than any sacrifice and any covenant. He just builds up Jesus as greater than everything. But he starts with verse 1, long ago. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now, 
In the past, all the Jewish readers looking at this would be like, yeah, we know that. God spoke to his people through the prophets, through the ancestors, and um, God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. God spoke. And how cool is it that the, that the God of everything speaks, right? He spoke to them in the past, and so they had this high reverence and standard for the fact that God spoke to them in the past through the prophets. In fact, they believed that the angels were the ones that delivered God's word to the people, and so they put angels um, kind of in a high reverence category too. So in the past, God spoke in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Um, angels delivered at Deuteronomy 33.2. If you want to write some notes down and look later, it would be helpful. Um, Galatians 3.19, Paul speaks of this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 50, Stephen. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, chapter 7 and 8, stands up and delivers this message. And man, the confidence, the boldness that he had in a very tense situation. It's like God was speaking in that moment through the Holy Spirit, through Stephen. And I just have to think about that for a moment and Say, God, I want to have that kind of confidence. I want to have that kind of boldness. Even in a world that might not want to hear what's being said, God, give me the confidence of Stephen, no matter what, right? And so all these references <clears throat> to uh, the, the God speaking to the ancestors of the prophets handed down through the angels. In verse 2 it says, and now, say now. So now means what? N- now. And now it says, in these final days, He has spoken to us through his son. Now, we read this from a history standpoint, and we're saying, yeah, yeah, he spoke through Jesus, but I want to see us in the the present tense. He's still speaking, church. He's the same. He's never changed. And so the God that spoke in the Old Testament is still speaking, but now he's chosen a better messenger to speak the message through. And it says, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us. I would say he's still speaking to us. Through his son. The question is, are we listening? Because, oh, he's speaking, right? And I don't know if you struggle with listening like I do. My wife says, are you hearing me? I'm like, yeah. She tells me something, and I go off and do something different. She's like, I told you. And I'm like, I I guess I wasn't listening. I was listening, but I wasn't listening. I think sometimes we can do that in church, can't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing what's being said, but I'm not listening intently. I'm not listening because I want to hear This life-changing truth. And so he says, now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. He immediately says, hey, I've got a greater messenger. God has chosen a greater vessel to deliver this message. Right? You revere the Old Testament, the prophets, and how God spoke in the past. But I'm telling you, there's a better way. And he's spoken through his son. And I would say, church, he's still speaking through his son to us today. And that should be pretty encouraging to us. So briefly in these um, the remaining verses, we're looking at uh, the second part of verse 2 through verse 3, there are seven characteristics of this one to whom God is speaking through that I want us to just meditate on a moment. And the purpose is to elevate Jesus. Can we do that this morning? When we sing songs of praise, that's what we're doing. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. We're praising him and elevating him to his worthy position. And it's okay. It's good for us to do that. I mean, so as he introduces, if you will, to the original readers whom God is speaking through. He says, this is who he is. Now, now, mind you, they were the original, they would understand where he's going with just what they're saying here for us. We've got to go back and look at references to get the depth of what he's, um, he's saying. And for, like, I think it's just so deep here. That's why I just wanted to spend a few moments this morning in an introduction just looking at who is 
this person whom God is speaking to and through today, um, who is Jesus. And so, now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Number one, first characteristic, it says, God promised everything to the son as an, an inheritance. So, he is the heir of all things. It all belongs to Christ. This is the one who is speaking. That's authority, right? So Psalm 2, the original readers would have been like, oh, that's totally Psalm chapter 2. Read that if you get a chance. Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Romans 8, 15 through 17. Paul speaks of that. Jesus is the heir of all things. Daniel even prophesied about it. Um, he says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. That's Jesus, y'all. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This one through whom God is speaking through is the heir of all things. And if you follow that through a little bit more, those who place faith are joint heirs with Christ. That's pretty powerful. He's speaking, are we listening? So the second characteristic, read on, it says, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. So the second characteristic of Jesus is he created, through him, through Jesus, God created the universe. You know, sometimes we try to put Jesus in a manger, and he was there, but that's not the beginning of Jesus. He was with God in the beginning, John 1 tells us. Before everything was made, he was there at creation, and God through him created all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 puts it this way. Through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He is creator. He's the heir of all things. He's the one through whom all creation was created. Thirdly, it says, the sun radiates God's own glory. So in the Old Testament, we remember when God's presence was in the tabernacle or in the temple, uh, there was the Shekinah glory that hovered over that place, and that was to them. That's God. They could see it, a manifestation of God. The glory of God was present above the tabernacle, and that's where they knew, hey, that's where God's at. That's where Moses was hanging out with God. When they saw the cloud, they saw the glory of God. That was like, God is there. In Ezekiel, we hear that the glory of God departed from the temple, and then there's no evidence of the presence of God for a long time. And then God's glory shows back up whenever Jesus comes back to the earth, right? In fact, it puts it this way. Um, John 1.14 um, tells us that he's the glory of God. John 17, Jesus says, Hey, Father, would you glorify me now as I've been obedient to your work, and would you let me share the glory that we shared together in heaven before the creation Colossians 2.19 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Do you realize how great Jesus is? He radiates God's own glory. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, we can't look at the sun directly. Sometimes it's just like, man, it's too bright. We can't walk on it. We don't travel there. It'd burn us up. In fact, they say if the, the earth was off of its axis by like one degree, we would burn up or we would freeze to death. Isn't it great? The creator just put it just right so we could live. 
But he says the sun radiates the glory of God. Think of the sun and how the sun is there, but we get the benefits of the rays of the sun that heat us, the light of the sun. It's still the sun. He radiates, he radiates the, the, the sun, S-U-N. In the same way, Jesus radiates the glory of God. The sun radiates God's own glory. That's the third description. The fourth one is, the sun radiates God's own glory and <clears throat> expresses the very character of God. Uh, more literally, it is like he's the imprint of God. Think of the, the signet ring that a king might wear, right? And he would write a letter, and it was a very important letter, and then he would seal that with wax, and he would stamp his um, ring into that seal. And anybody that broke that other than the one that was supposed to receive it, it was like a death sentence. You didn't touch it, right? It was sealed. And so think of the imprint in that wax seal. You see it, it's an exact representation of the real deal, right? That's Jesus. Jesus expresses the very character, the very nature of God, the imprint of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Satan is good at blinding the minds of those who don't believe. It says they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So Hebrews writer here, he's saying, hey, listen, you, you guys are tempted to go back to an old system. I want to present to you someone who's greater. And God is using this greater messenger now to, to give you a greater message. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the one that created it all. Um, he, is the, he radiates God's own glory. And he expresses the very character of God. He is the exact likeness of God. That's a pretty important person that we should probably listen to, isn't it? The fifth one, he says he is the, expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Tell me if you've heard this one. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the brothers. Oh, anyways, but you know what I'm saying? He's got, he's got it all, and he sustains it all, and he holds it together. How comforting it is to know that this Jesus that we trust that created it all holds it all together. There's seasons in life I'm glad to know that there's somebody, when I'm losing it all, he's holding it all, and he's sustaining it all together. This is the Jesus that we elevate high above everyone and anything. He's worthy of that praise. Amen. So he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Colossians 1.17 said he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. This is the one through whom God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Now up to this point, all of that's been shared so far is written in the perfect tense, meaning it's a, a work that's being forever completed, like he's always in the process of working. The last two... I think are interesting because they're in the aorist tense, meaning a completed action. And so um, the sixth one, if you look at it, it says, uh, let's see where we're at. We're halfway through verse 3, but you're not paying attention anyway, so it's no big deal. When he had cleansed, when he had cleansed us from our sins, when he had cleansed us 
from our sins. This is in the aorist tense, meaning a completed action. How many know we celebrate that around Easter time? Jesus laid down his life for the sins of the world. He cleansed us of our sins by that one action. Amen? I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty big. Really big. So I shared with the first service that I, I was raised in a church, and I, I'm not going to bash on the church because I don't think it's what they doctrinally believe, but it's what you catch from the pulpit, right? Um, some, of the, some of the times you hear stuff and you're like, man, I just, I, basically I was going to hell every week. All right? I mean, I was a turkey growing up, and it's like, hey, Shane, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I'm like, I don't know. I know what I did yesterday, and I'm in, in bad shape. And so what that did is it lent myself to going to church on Sunday and going to the pulpit every week, going to the altar, right? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And I, it's like, Shane, do you know? Do you have that? No, I, I don't. I really don't know. And can I just tell you that's not good news? Can I just tell you there's no hope in that? That sense of just like, man, where am I with God? I have no, no clue. And, and what really nailed it, drove it home for me, was years ago I went to a drama um, called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. How many of you saw that? Powerful. Whew, cried like a baby. It depicts the heavenly scene and or a hell scene for those who have died and it's like immediately after their life it's like they're in one of two places it's a very powerful drama but what got me places packed out and I'm there and I'm kind of in a season where I'm just getting back into church you know I've been kind of playing church but I've been kind of just getting back into the, the groove and, and you know, kind of wrestling with that the lights go out and all of a sudden through the back doors I hear a loud noise a thud and then I hear this groaning loud and I turn around Remember this, don't you? I turn around and I see an actor, just an actor. Sorry. An actor that was portraying Jesus and he was covered in blood. Carrying a cross down an aisle to come forward and it was just depicting what he did for me. And I wept like a baby and I said, if he did that for me, I would never want him to go through that again. I wouldn't ever want him to suffer like that again. It impacted me deeply, and I was like, I have to believe that when he cleansed me from our sins, that one sacrifice, that one cleansing was enough. we got to know that, church. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. His sacrifice once for all time cleansed us from our sins. No angel can do that. No prophet can accomplish that. No one else or nothing else can do that, what Jesus did. Only Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, can take away the sins of the world. In fact, when John was baptizing, he saw Jesus coming to be baptized. I mean, who's going to baptize Jesus, right? He's perfect. And John's like, I, I, need, to be, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus is like, let it be for now. But as he was coming, John looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Not covers it temporarily, but takes it away. Do you know the level of what Jesus has done for you? That on the cross, that sacrifice that was made is where he cleansed those of us who place our faith in him, right? Cleansed us from our sins once for all time. That's powerful. That one is through whom God is speaking even to us today. Are we listening? He's worthy of our ears and our attention. Amen? Church, do you hear me? That was a completed work. And because it was a completed work, the seventh characteristic there, and I love this. When he had cleansed us from our sins, here it is, he sat down 
in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He sat down. Why do you sit down? You sit down because the work is complete. And his redemptive work was complete. He sends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. In fact, Stephen, I think it's the thing that pushed him over the edge right before they killed him. He says, there's a smile on his face, this confidence. He just preached this message and he says, look, I see Jesus, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The work of Jesus is complete and he sits at the right hand of the Father today because that work was completed for you and me. Jesus is just elevated more and more and more, hopefully in our perception, right? Because the more you know him and the more you realize what he's done for you and me, it, it means everything, right? Philippians 2, 8 and 11 says, or 8 through 11, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. You know the rest of this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue Declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He sat down because the work is complete. In three verses, just this dump truck load of good stuff where the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, I know you're stalling out in your faith. I know that you're tempted to turn back and go to the old system, but can I tell you, there's nowhere else to go. Nobody's gonna come behind Jesus and one-up what he did. It was enough. And if you missed this, you've missed it all. And so it would be foolish to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and reject that, ignore it, walk away from it. Who would want to walk away from such a great, great message to humanity? Amen? So these seven facts reinforce the fact that Christ is superior to the prophets. He is superior to any man or angel that has ever existed. He's the greatest revelation that has ever been made because he is God in the flesh. Once we see this superior revelation of Jesus Christ, we can't go back, right? Once we hear this news about Jesus and we know there's no one greater, in fact, I would say this, um, Buddha, Hindu, I mean, whatever, pick any religion. I would say this, there is no God apart from Jesus because God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and these three are one, right? There is no God apart from Jesus. You won't see God in Buddha or God in the Hindu stuff. Anybody else, right? It's Jesus plus nothing. And so once we've heard this revelation of Jesus, we got a response to that. How do we respond? That's God speaking to us, revealing to us a great message. It's like, are we listening to what God is saying through his son? We can't go back. Once we've heard that, we can't go back to the old religion or the old church or the old way of worship. Why? We've come face to face with the greatest revelation God could make. And if you don't see that, as we read earlier, your eyes are potentially blinded by the prince and the power of this world because that's what he does. But make no mistake about it, God is speaking even today. Are we listening? Jesus is greater. If, as I said earlier, if you don't get anything else, I say today, you should leave this place today, walk out these doors and think, you know what? Jesus is greater. And you run into a situation that kind of breaks your heart or it's a hard day. Mondays can do that sometimes. And you're like, you know what? This is bad, but Jesus is greater. And he's above it. 
Anything that you could imagine, you're like, man, this just takes my breath away. It's so amazing. Jesus is greater. If you don't get anything else, please understand Jesus is greater. There's nothing else or no one else that we can go to. In fact, where would we go, right? If not Jesus, then who? He's the answer for every one of us. And that's why you hear me say all the time the most important decision you can make is to place your faith in Jesus, to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as I said earlier, I don't want to leave you there. Because that's cool, right? I mean, like, to place your faith in Christ, to demonstrate that in baptism is powerful. But how many of you know there's a lot between now and when Christ returns of maturity and growth and sanctification that can take place in the life of the believer? That's what I yearn for. Because I see people say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, and they're struggling. They're stalling in their faith. They're hurting, and I'm like, man, how big is your picture of Jesus in your mind? And, and, and I wrestle with this, too, when it comes to self-confidence, when it comes to just standing here and preaching. I'm like, God, give me the passion, the conviction, and just the, 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 the zeal that Stephen would have had on the day that he was murdered for speaking the message. Because we live in a world that, you know, the world don't want to hear what we got to say, but I want to have that. And if I truly understand who Jesus is, and if I truly understand what he's done, and I truly understand the magnitude of what he's got laid up for me. He says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither can into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. We have no clue, church. But if I could just grasp a hold of what he's got for me, and if you could do that, what would it do to us in this life, right? While we're waiting for eternity, what would it do for us? Would we walk with a little bit more confidence because of who we belong to? Would we walk with a little more passion and a little bit more joy in our heart, knowing that, you know, yes, in this world you'll have troubles, but I've taken heart because Jesus is my Savior and he's overcome the world, and I'm with him. Are you with him? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you struggling today? Are you stalling in your faith? Can I just tell you, man, go on into maturity. Don't, don't stall out any longer. Jesus is worth the pursuit, Right? The, the, the hardships that we may face. In fact, I've had people before say, my life was awesome before I got saved. And when I got saved, it seems like everything started going wrong. And they use that as justification. And in my mind, I, is I, I'm going, it's because you were walking the same direction as Satan. He's not going to interfere with you. But once you say, I placed my faith in Jesus, it ticked him off because you left his camp and went into Jesus' camp. And he's going to try everything he can to knock you off course and destroy your life, your marriage. And so for me, I take that as a, a badge of honor. You know, when I experience a little persecution, it's like, it's because I'm walking in a different direction and I belong to somebody far greater. And in this world, I'm going to experience that. And I know that, you know what, I don't understand the depths of it, but I know that there's a reward in heaven for those who experience those things and they just push through, push through, push through. So as the writer of Hebrews says, he's, he's given them this twofold. Lift Jesus up above everything and anything, every person, and Stay faithful to Jesus in spite of the things that we go through. That's the message for us too, church. No matter what you're going through, what you're experiencing, Jesus is the answer to everything that we need. Where else are we going to go? In fact, I think that when we experience hardships, it should be like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, right? You're hanging on. <laughs> I don't want that to separate from me when I jump out of a plane. I'm like, whew, hanging on, right, with all I got. And that's what I feel like with Jesus. Like I can't imagine going through life without him. And when the hardships come up, and they do, to just hang on tighter to Jesus. Because he's got me. Amen? I don't know how God is speaking to you today, but man, can you ask God, hey, God, I know you're speaking. 
I know you're speaking. What are you saying to me? Because I'm listening. And maybe he wants you to take that step of faith. Maybe he wants you to, to finally cross that line and say, you know what? This is it. I'm putting my, my line in the sand and I'm placing my faith in Jesus today. I'm not going to look back. I'm going forward and trusting him for salvation. I hope that's your step. Or maybe somebody's here today and they're like, man, I just feel like I've been kind of playing the game, going through the motions, and I want more than that, and, and I want to recommit my walk to Christ. Maybe that's your decision. However the Lord moves in your heart today, I, I hope that you would respond to him. And we'll dismiss. And when we dismiss, there's always an opportunity to come for Maybe you need some prayer, some encouragement. Uh, please, please uh, come um, when we dismiss the service uh, today, and I'd be happy to pray with you. Um, so with that, let's, let's pray. Father, we... God, I'm so humbled. I'm so humbled by how much you love us for who you are and what you've done. And, and I ask the question, why? why? Why us? But God, your word declares that you loved us so much that you did all of that. You're speaking clearly through the gospel to us that whosoever would believe in you, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for that message, that message of hope. God, I pray that every person in this room today, everybody may listen on the line later, that, that they would just take an examination of where they're at with you and that they would be able to know that they know that they have placed their hope and their faith and their trust in you and you alone, knowing that that sacrifice that you offered was enough for all, past, future, and present. Lord, for those of us struggling in our faith and we think it's not a really big deal, help us to take note of the warnings in Hebrews that they should trouble us some. They should make us think, all right, hey, am I kind of stepping out on Jesus? Am I kind of rejecting him in this area? Am I walking away in this area? God, would you renew within us just this desire to follow you no matter what, this desire to be obedient to you no matter what? But we know that it's worth it. And God, we know that there's no one else ever and there will be no one else ever who's going to do a better job and provide a better way of being right with you than what Jesus did. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is greater. And we thank you, Lord, for that message. Lord, be honored in our lives as we leave this place today. Help us just raise our perspective, our focus of who you are, and let it change what it means to us. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.